call is now being recorded. Yo, yo. Yo. Channel 10 podcast. We're up to what, episode 4 now? Yeah, episode 4. Um, once again, thank everybody for listening who's listening. Trying to make this build up every week, week after week, so you can check us out at channel10podcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on SoundCloud. Everything is Channel 10 Podcast, except Twitter, which is Channel 10 Pod. Um, we've got the Instagram now. Uh, we've got the YouTube. We'll be on Stitcher soon. Um, pretty much wherever you at, if we're not there yet, we're going to be there. So make sure you check us out. And don't forget to hit us up with any questions or anything else at channel10podcast at gmail.com. That's right. You know, if we get some listeners popping off, we can answer some questions, uh, enlighten you on life, and whatever else you got popping off, you know, we're here to help you, help the audience. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, what did you want to get into first? Um, you know, I guess we can go right into uh, the Tulsa and what happened. Yeah, man, that's crazy. And what's what's interesting is, um, and of course we're going to explain a little bit about what happened, but um, the other day when everything happened in South Carolina with that officer, I was like, oh, man, we got to talk about that on the podcast. And then just today, I just saw about this other shooting in Tulsa, and it just made my stomach turn. Like, yeah, um, like week after week, like uh, this this guy, he was um, basically, I guess he was involved in. Um, from what I can tell so far, he was doing some crime. They said that he was like selling weapons to an undercover cop. And basically, the cop um, reveals himself, and from what I can tell, this guy was running, and the cop shot him in his back, and he um, is, like, laying on the ground, and he says, oh, I'm shot, I'm shot, and I'm losing breath, and the cop says, fuck your breath. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh... I'm looking at uh, some art- some article now, and uh, it's saying Oklahoma officials um, are just saying that it was simply a mistake. Simply a mistake. How would like, you say? I said simply a mistake. Like this is somebody's life, and it's just like. It's well, I mean, well, I'm sorry. Well, they're saying it, it was a mistake. The uh, actual shooting was a mistake. Yeah. So yeah. So it it was a mistake, but not, I I added simply going to it. Oh. But um. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I mean. I, I mean, mistake or not. Like. I think the thing that got me is I'm just picturing it being myself in that situation and just laying on the ground bleeding, knowing I'm probably about to die, saying, you know, I'm losing my breath. And then the guy that just shot me just says, fuck your breath. Mm. Like, that's just so cold-hearted. Like, if it was a mistake, 
I would figure that the immediate action would be to correct that mistake, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, get some assistance there ASAP, like, or something like that. But it's just it's just a continuing pattern. And now, you know, all these things are being caught on video, like the um, situation and um, the situation that happened in South Carolina where, you know, the cop would have gotten completely off had it not been for the video. And with that, and the thing that made that so bad to me was, like, he shot him, then handcuffed him and pretended like he was alive after he shot and killed him, and then dropped the taser next to him, and then called and said that the guy stole his taser. Yeah. And it just reminded me of that whole day. And I think I heard somebody else say, you know, um, it's it's reminiscent of that whole Dave Chappelle skit where he talks about how the cops will, uh, you know, kill you and then sprinkle some crack on you and then leave. Like, yeah. Um, I was uh, <clears throat> I was on talking to my mother earlier, um, and this was before the uh, you you sent me the uh, the Tulsa thing, but um, we were, we were like we were kind of talking about South Carolina and what happened there. And, you know, she said that it kind of reminds her of the 60s, like how, how a lot of people um, are saying now. Um, but I guess a bit more recently, um, I told I told her, I said, um, you know, care, you know, and if anyone listening right now, if anyone listened to the second episode about my very long rant about protests, at least here, I don't see anyone protesting anymore. And I think... You know, things like this, it just kind of, it, it goes back to my point about, you know, are you really, you know, protesting for, for, for publicity or, you, or, are you just, or, you, or are you doing it really for the cause? Because, because it's like I said, you know, there's so many other things that, that are going on that we don't, we never really think about. And now they're starting to come to light. But when only, people only like to protest for when, when, when things are, are relevant to, to them. And uh relevant I guess in uh um how how can I put it? I mean I guess for you know, when it comes to publicity at least here. And this is the type of shit that's pisses me off. Um but yeah, man, I I don't I don't know what to say about I don't know what to say no more. <laughs> There's only so much I can say, but, but I still feel like, you know, people Still weren't on Eric Gardner the way that they, that they should have been. Um, because if you ask me, I think I think that was like the that, that was like that was the first real thing, like the like the first. Um, I think the the first incident where you know there there wasn't like a lot of you know weird stuff and you know and you don't really know you don't you know you don't you don't really know what, what was going on or not. Yeah, but. It's really clear, you, you saw what happened, and then, you know, and come to find out what the cop did was illegal anyway. But the chokehold, so. Yeah. And um, I think, too, it's like, um, I was thinking about what you were talking about with the protest, because, like, I think what they're doing now mm-hmm. is to try to mitigate the protest. Like, the situation in South Carolina, they immediately locked up the officer. And, like, even his lawyer dropped the case and everything like that. So it's like, boom, 
all right, we're not giving you a reason to protest. So, like, the Akai Gurley situation, the guy who got um, killed in Brooklyn in the projects, um, they immediately locked up the officer. And that's good, and it it kind of, you know, the officers should get the repercussions for, you know, their actions. But at the same time, it doesn't address the underlying issues. And... If you're going to protest, like, I think that the problem with the protests with the uh, Mike Brown situation was that, you know, initially, and I think for a lot of people, it was like protest about that situation and not necessarily about the underlying um, causes of these situations. And then there's a problem where... With that situation, like you said, it wasn't really clear about what happened. So you'll rush to make somebody the poster child for all of the issues, and then it comes out that maybe this wasn't the right person to pick. I think that kind of makes people more hesitant to jump on the next thing and, you know, really protest to bring awareness to something that might be happening locally in an area and really may change. Like now they can just be like, oh, this is an anomaly we dealt with it. We we swept it under the rug. Where, mm-hmm. you know, in the um in the Mike Brown case, when the DOJ came and they found all those emails, like who knows what kind of emails and things are going on in these other places? But you'll never hear about them because I, I like I feel like the system learned its lesson from what happened with Mike Brown. So now they're dealing with it to a point where none of their secrets are going to get out. So it's like, you know, what what can be done? And I think, you know, the little bit that can be done is to look at things more strategically and not emotionally. And it's like, you know, affect change in your area. You know, black lawyers get together. You know, black people get together. Not even black people. All people, you know, get together and vote people locally in office who represent your your your, uh, your interests. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, um, I'm not I'm not sure if you um this is this is rather old, but um I didn't I didn't exactly know about it about um this guy uh Luis Rodriguez. Um, here in, uh, in Moore, Oklahoma, and this was, this was, uh, about last, uh, last year in February. But no, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm assuming you're, I don't think I'm familiar with that one. Um, okay, well, um, no, he, he was Hispanic, and, um, him and his wife, they were, um, coming out of a movie theater, and the officers came up to him, um, and they approached him in the parking lot, and they asked him for identification, and he refused and took a quote unquote a quote an aggressive stance that um, said the police, and they attempted to handcuff him and detain him, and then he acted so many in so many words they kind of you know Eric Gardner him and they kind of choked him out and he was he was also saying that he can't breathe. And he's six feet tall. He was six feet tall and weighed nearly 300 pounds. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at, at an article right now, but, you know, my, uh, my good friend told, um, you know, mentioned this to me, um, last night. 
about it. You know, I was I wasn't aware. But uh, the article says he was an electrician and church volunteer with no criminal record. Um, and you know, even with like Eric Gardner, um, we okay. So yeah, he he had he had a history of you know selling cigarettes and you know and, and certain things. And, you know, I think the thing about me is that with with, the, with with some of these issues, you know, there are certain murky murky areas. You know, when it comes to what the person was doing. Um, you know, it's like uh, with Mike Brown, but you know, it's still um, allegedly he was he, he stole some cigars, right? Yeah. Or so so no one still exactly knows what the fuck he was doing. I mean, they're pretty certain that he wasn't, you know, that he was pretty much you know up to no good. Okay. Um. And you know my 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 mother she she you know she said she said something about you know how black men have to be properly taught how to deal with police. Um. And you know the the thing is you know it's a it's a very bad thing to say, but it is a reality you know. Um. And I'm and I don't really I'm not really talking about Luis Rodriguez when I say this, but you know it's. Um, you know, I mean, because I, I mean, you you dealt with certain issues. I've dealt with certain issues. You know, I'm I'm getting pulled over on my way to school or something like that. You know, Baltimore or whatever. And you know, I'm, I can't. I just can't run from the cops or do something crazy because they, you know something's going to happen. Yeah. And like, I mean, I've seen the cops do some crazy things when really nothing was going on. Like. So, you know, I definitely feel you. But the thing is, like, I think, um, I don't know, it's it's such a difficult topic because, like you said, it's like, why, you know, you know, why do we have to, it's like just because we were born the way that we were born, you know, we have to have additional training, like, like, it's almost like you come home from school or whatever and you get, like, your regular education and then you come home to your parents and then you get your black education. Like, these yeah. are the things that you had to do to uh, survive. And it's like when people talk about, you know, white privilege and, you know, a lot of people come out and they be like, you know, there's no such thing as white privilege. And, you know, they have a lot of examples and they do have, you know, valid examples, but they don't, they don't, really get to the small nuances of of you know the things that we're talking about right here like the things that they've never had to consider or really think about and it's a privilege that they don't have that burden on them you know yeah like that that anxiety of you know even if even if you know as you know a lot of super conservatives would say that you know, the fears aren't real or, you know, they're just perceived or, you know, the way that you think are exacerbated by that black education that you get to automatically think that cops are bad. You know, all of that comes from somewhere and is real. And it is something that they don't know that, you know, people who aren't black don't have to deal with. Yeah. Um I mean, yeah, you know, and you know, I, um, I, you know, I don't, 
uh, I, you know, and I, I don't exactly think that, you know, every cop I come across is, you know, bad, but if I see you from afar, I'm just, I mean, I'm just going to assume and I may get nervous if, and whenever you come near closer to me. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I'm so lost. I'm, I'm lost words. I mean, I, I don't know what to really say. I mean, you know, me and you, we've been talking about race shit for how, for how many years now? People have been too, and it's uh, once more, it's just coming to the forefront. You know, certain people that, you know, that I think that, that we've dealt with, whatever like that, who always say, oh, you just on that black shit, always think, you know, something's going on, and nothing's going on, and, you know, they tend to be these complacent people. Pretty much the, the uh, pretty much probably the same motherfuckers who, who protested like two or three weeks ago, <laughs> um, and you know you know then you know just just think you're just write you off and just think you're fucking silly and you don't make any sense. And now all this shit, all everything is is coming up now, and I don't know what to say anymore. Yeah, I do think I do think there's some. Um I do think that there's some, you know, validity to the point that um, instead of focusing on it being a black issue, you know, bring it more into the everybody perspective of um, the cops are just out of control in general, you know. Like, if you just take race completely out of it, at the end of the day, what they're doing, I'm not going to say what they're doing, like, you know, it's all of them doing it, but I think that the attitudes and the practices and the policies that many police forces across the country adopt, um, you know, they just aren't conducive to good relations between law enforcement and people. And at the end of the day, you know, law enforcement, they don't, you know, once they put that uniform on, they don't consider themselves us anymore. And, you know, I think that's definitely a problem. And I think that that, I think that, you know, I guess, you know, one of the good things that came out of the Mike Brown protests um, is that it, it illustrated um, just how how crazy it can get, you know, when they start bringing in military-type style armament against, you know, civilians. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> I mean all this stuff. It will have you at a loss for words. Like it's like you know, what do you do? I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, um, it's and you know, may, and, uh, maybe it's also a bad thing, I guess, and in a sense, you know that. I'm just, I'm just so used to it that certain certain things, you know. I mean, I mean, I'm sure the same thing with you. It, you know, it, it just doesn't surprise me. You know, I can walk out, you know, coming somewhere, you know, from studying around one thirty in the morning. I have, you know, all these books on me, and you know, I, I see cops, you know, um, you know, slowing their, slowing down to to see who I was. Mm. If, you know, but if I'm from afar and, and if I'm not on that main street, if I see, you know, a white person or whatever like that doing the same thing, they don't slow down for that white person. They keep on going. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think, um, yeah it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and then um, 
when it comes to like being used to it, you know, I think that we're used to it on a personal level, and I think that we're used to it just on a hearing these stories all the time level. And um, remember the other day I was telling you about that Uncle Murder interview on uh, Hot 97, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was talking about increasing the murder rate, and by that he meant increasing the value of murder. Like, you know, and, you know, what I took from what he was saying is, you know, we we get desensitized to to all of this to where, you know, it used to be that you wouldn't show a video of somebody being killed. Um, that you know, it's like a snuff video. You know, you, you know, you wouldn't show that on the news and stuff like that. But it's it's so it's coming so quick now. Like it's almost on a weekly basis. It's like now it's nothing to see somebody get killed on TV, and it'll be a story for a minute, and then you just go into the next thing. And you know, at what point is it awareness, and at another point. You know, um, at what point is it conditioning? And sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, they kind of do this on purpose to kind of condition. It's like a conspiracy theory, a little conspiracy theory of mine. But I feel like they keep showing this to us to, so that we can be con- uh, uh, conditioned and just constantly live our lives in a state of fear. You know, so, so, so kind of like how, you know, they would make an example of a slave. Yeah, 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 exactly. And oh, so, yeah, so, we get our, our, our examples. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that's most definitely true, but you know, it's, um, you know, I, I think, you know, back to what the, the second episode and, you know, talking and, you know, just talking about the, the people who were, who were protesting here and um and you know how you know you can protest in a quiet manner i mean you know just your how you carry yourself what you know you know mm-hmm. just being out in society that that can be a form of protest um you know it i guess like the, the same thing you know how how dreads dreadlocks you know were considered a form of protest but they, but they aren't now yeah and you know, so they, so there are other things you can do. So if more people were, I guess, more, I don't know, more, you know, more um, aware of their history or, or like or, or what really really goes on, you know, then maybe there could be uh, maybe a, a faster change when when it comes to like to, to this type of activity, because. You know, my, 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 right now my main thing with racism is that, in which I do still think it's a very, a very big element, is the fact that, you know, for it to go away, a lot of the, a lot of the older generation has to go away. Yeah. Um, and which, you know, I, I still hold that to be true, but you know, go, go back to the kid who got shot, the little boy got shot, um, what was it, in Illinois or, um, you know, oh. he got shot on the swing in the park. Yeah, that was in uh, Ohio, Tamir Rice. Yeah, and wasn't it kind of like 22 or something like that, 21? Yeah, I believe he was really young. In addition, he had a history. Like, I think he got he actually got kicked out of another um, police force for being too aggressive or something like that. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, 
But I mean, but yeah, it was, I mean, you know, but you know, sometimes, you know, like hearing all this shit that comes out every other week about someone getting shot and killed, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what that really says about my theory on, you know, race being racism being kind of, you know, gone. Although it'll always be around, and um, and you know, also, you know, talking to my girlfriend last night when she was talking about the uh, Luis Rodriguez thing, and um. On the uh, incident, rather, and um, you know, I was I was saying, you know, I've I've heard, you know, you've heard of so many people who who've been gunned down in like you know Baltimore, and they didn't do anything, like, literally, literally nothing, and you know, it's it's you know, sometimes I you know I I, I go back and I think about people like that. And now how these how these people with these you know these weird you know all these murky weird ass details about them and all this other type of stuff how they getting this type of attention when you have these other people who didn't do anything who were pre, who, who who were victims of the same type of the same exact type of you know brutality and how no one no one cares about it no one cares about it no one even thought to care about it <clears throat> and you know I did say something about you know just being used to it I guess you know showing how desensitized I, I am to it now, you know, she just said, you know, I guess, you know, what you're kind of saying too, that, you know, <clears throat> although that may be true, that it doesn't really make it right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make it right. And I think, I think, um, I think we, I think, you know, just as humans in general, we get into a situation where, Something might be wrong, but if it happens often enough where it becomes the norm, it kind of is what's right. So, like, if you take it back to, um, if you take it back to, like, Jim Crow days to where, you know, you really had to have that black education of, you know, don't look a white person in the eye or, like, sundown towns, don't come outside at the dark. And all the all these type of things are the norm, and this is what you're taught. And it's kind of like this is what you're taught is the right way to live your life. But if you step outside of that, it's really not the right way to live your life, you know. Mm. But it's the norm, and so you have to do what is the right thing in the context of what is the norm in society. Mm. So it's kind of it's kind of weird because. Sometimes you have to do things that aren't necessarily right in order just to live. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> very depressing. It is very depressing. But I don't know, like, it's... And I feel, I don't know, like, I was just about to say something, but it's like, you know, why do I even have to say that? I was going to say, you know, you have to be smart and not put yourself in those situations and everything and, you know, try to avoid those situations. But, you know, it's like, why do we even have to think about that? I mean, well, yeah, that's, that, I mean, you know, that that's very true, you know, and, you know, thinking about my mother, you know, and my mother, a lot of times, you know, she always says that, you know, you, you just 
can't put yourself in, in these types of situations. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, when, when me and you were, like, texting back and forth when I was in L.A., on, it was on the Saturday when um, when Trayvon, um, when the, uh, the, the verdict came out. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the verdict wasn't, wasn't surprising to me. But then, like, after that, and I guess when my mother heard about it, um, she called, she heard him call me and told me, like, to, like, to, to, to go inside. Mm. Because, you know, she thought that, you know, it's L.A., and I guess she's probably thinking about the L.A. riots and stuff like that. And she's yeah. probably, she probably knew it would be some crazy-ass ride in L.A. Um, and, you know, it's like the same thing. You know, I, I had, like, a... They're like these two cops, um, who, who was like walking and you know how, you know, they have tend like, they like to walk really slow, you know, like to, like to show their authority and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, they were side by side and, you know, the sidewalk, the sidewalk wasn't like big enough, um, for me to like go around them. So. There was like a there was like a little crack and they were walking too slow, so I just you know I'm skinny, so I just like went in between them <laughs> and just kept them walking. And they and they, they looked at me like I was, I was crazy as shit, but they didn't do anything. And maybe maybe one of the reasons why they didn't do anything it was like a game day and there was, there was so many people outside. Um, maybe maybe you know because like one I know this one cop he had like a certain eye and he was like oh nigga <laughs> what is it on. Like, you know, I told you. Yeah. But it was walking too slow to me. I, I, had, I had things I had to do. And then actually, I was thinking... Oh, uh, I was going to say, like, I think I think some of that, too, has to do with the type of people who who they uh, let be cops. Like, mm-hmm. and just the way, like, um, I was listening to something, and I've heard this before, like, um, a lot of police forces, they make you take some type of IQ test, and if you score too high on it, they won't let you be a cop because, you know, it takes a certain type of person to, one, be able to do that paperwork and also to be able to follow orders. and um, But still give direction. So you got to get, like, this person who's in kind of like a middle management type of mind frame to where, you know, they can trip off the little bit of power that they get but then they still have to follow these strict regimented orders, which they, you know, a lot of times break anyway. But um, it's basically a bunch of people who, you know, I guess like like a stereotypical type of jock, you know? Yeah. Um, too much thinking and just, you know, likes to be in control and power and bully people and bust heads and stuff like that. And so, you know, any type of disrespect to their authority, uh, walking between them and stuff like that, they're going to take as offensive and they're going to try to find some reason to get you because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, um, that goes to that. Um, yeah, have you seen the video of the guy who uh, crossed up the cops in basketball? <laughs> no. Oh, did we talk about that the other day? Um, there was this guy. He was home. Um, he was home from college or whatever, and uh, he was playing basketball with like some kids. And um, you know, he's like a good, like 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 some type of star player at whatever school he went to. And um, so these cops, they see him playing, and they start saying, "You're not that good. You're not that good," or whatever. So he's like, mm-hmm. "All right, come play me." So 
apparently this guy like basically embarrassed the cops and crossed them up and made them fall down and stuff. And then um, I don't know if it was that same day or if it was like another day they came back and arrested him. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and people are saying that it's because it's because um, he embarrassed them. And I didn't I didn't watch the video, but like I read like the description of it, and somebody said that you could hear somebody in the back like you know you just arresting him because he crossed you up or something like that. Oh wow! And Damn. it's just like. You know that whole that whole thing is really ridiculous. Yeah. Um. You know, going back to uh, what you what you said about um. Uh, the the type of people that they hire to to be a police officer, and it re- it re- um reminded me about what you, what you were telling me like a while like a long time ago about um like bus drivers. And how you got to take a certain type of test so they can see that you'll be able to do like the same route every day. Yeah. And we'll go crazy. Yeah. 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 Um, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing how they come up with these these weird tests, like to, to try to figure these types of things out. Yeah. But really? like, um, I mean it. It's interesting, too, because, like, for instance, um, I've been in situations at work where it comes down to um, hiring somebody, and it's like you don't want to hire somebody who's too educated because they'll get bored too quick and they won't do the job. Hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, but sometimes, you know, certain people I see, they have a master's degree in my head. I'm like, how the fuck they even get it, even a bachelor's degree? <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many people who walked across that stage during during my graduation. So many people, and I, I'm telling you, maybe maybe it was like 40 of us. I know at least like 15 of them, 20 of them, whatever like that. Um, in my head, I just kept saying, "Nigga, how'd you graduate? Nigga, how'd you graduate? Bitch, how'd you graduate?" <laughs> 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 um, but um. But you know, um, the the same day when that happened with the cops, you know, first of all, you know, like what, they were looking at me like they were gonna fuck my ass up, and you know, they, they one of them looked at my hair too. And it was, that, it was like the same night of, of the the Floyd Mayweather fight. Uh. That's that's how you about this, and I told you about, about the um, like the like the ten kids who were outside of my house. Uh-uh. <laughs> all right, so. You know, um, I, all right, so I'm, 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 I'm on my way to, to, to the house, and so I'm walking, and, you know, it's, you know, Oklahoma, they don't like streetlights for whatever reason, so my, my neighborhood gets pretty dark. Um, and I'm walking, I'm walking toward my house, and, um, they're like, you know, maybe like 10, maybe 10, 8, eight 10 kids out, and they're all white, and they're like fucked up, and like, you know, all of my high school kids, and um, I'm walking toward them, and then um, I guess one, I guess one of them thought I was intriguing, and so they was like, "Oh man, hey man, hey," and, you know, like got slurring, slurring, and he's like, "Hey man, wh- wh- where are you going, man?" And I'm like, I'm "Going to the house," and he's like, "Oh man, do you want to like you know buy like buy something for us? You had something on you?" And I'm like, "What do you mean? Like, do you have some coke?" 
tell me about this. Oh, I did tell you about this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, after that, um, someone was like, I said, I said, no, I ain't no fucking coke. And I said, I said, I'm like, this is the problem with y'all now. I said, every time y'all see a black person, probably just think he has drugs on and shit, and they start laughing. <laughs> and, uh, and then one is, so then like one, like one girl said, well, do you at least have like, like a, um, like, like some beer or something like that, that in your bag? Thankfully, I didn't. Uh, at least not that day. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. They probably, they probably, you know, they probably wanted, they probably would have thought it was like a forty or something like that, or whatever, like that, whatever. Um, but yeah, man, it's like I'm telling you, every other day I experience something here. Yeah. Oh man, speaking of uh, incidents, I didn't tell you about this. I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the day I'm at work and I come in. And the lady next to me, she, um, she, you know, she's kind of new. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm glad you're here. Um, I have all these questions. And she was like, you know, I'm sorry about, you know, all these inane questions. And so I said, oh, you know, don't worry about it. You know, there's no such thing as, um, I said something like, yeah, you know what they say, there's no such thing as an inane question. And she was like, wow, I'm impressed. You know what that word means. Oh man! Like, and then you know she kind of like cleaned it up and stuff. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, people all the time who don't uh, know what that word means. And then she was like, "But not here," you know. I guess meaning like in the office. And I'm just like, "Yeah, clean it up." (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm thinking that. If we really felt like it, we could probably do a segment like every other week, or like once, like or every other episode, or maybe or maybe even every episode about at least one incident we have about our fucking race in our everyday lives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's like the other day, and I was telling you, I was walking to the car, and um, I think I backed into the parking spot, and the person next to me didn't. So I, I, our doors. Actually, it was the other way around. She backed in, and I didn't. And so um, it was a white lady, and she was walking very fast to her car, and I guess she was uh, upset when she, you know, realized that I was coming over to her. I wasn't even really paying her any attention, but she was trying to open her door, so I had to wait for her to open her door before I could open mine. And she was looking like she was in a horror movie. Like, <laughs> she was trying to open the door, and she was pulling on it, but it was like, it was still locked. And so she kept pulling on it real fast, and the door wouldn't open, so she was, like, scrambling for her key so she could hurry up and hit the button so the thing would unlock. But I guess she was trying to open the door while she's pressing the button, and, you know, you have to unlock the door before you open, so she's pressing the button, and it's not unlocking. So finally, I guess she figured out how to do it. And she hopped in the car and got the fuck out of there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sometimes when when I, when I see people like that, I just want to like go up to them and like just, just like growl at them and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> 
man. Uh, remember back in the day when people were like, they would just like, they would just, they would just say, "Yeah, trick, yeah, you, this shit." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah, do some shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, hold, hold, wait. Matter of fact, on all right, so like on like that that song, like 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 the like the original song, like or like the album version. Like the the way it starts, let me talk about like like some white lady like what some white lady looking at him or something like that. Oh man, that's so long ago. I don't even remember, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think I'm, I said it's out of that. It's, it's it's some song someone has that's kind of like around the same thing. It's like man, I was just walking the walk in the mall one day and I had all my bags something and these white people looking at me. You know, I just I just have to go. Y'all trick y'all. Something like that. <laughs> it might be it. It definitely might be it. Soldier boy, tell him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Now, see, now I'm gonna be fighting the urge to just do that in life. <laughs> all right, so, all right, so, all right, so this is the thing. So, so when, so when you shave your beard down, though. Do you, do you get less of those incidents, or do you, or, or, or do, does, it stay, or does it stay the same? Uh, I think it stays the same. Okay. But you know, when I do shave my beard, which I haven't done in a in a good minute, I don't really like. I I pretty much shave it down to even it out if if certain things seem like they're getting longer than other ones, but it's never like you know down. Hmm. But I don't know. I, it, like it seems like it seems like I don't get as much for my beard as you do, you know, for your hair. Well, I mean, well, because you know, maybe I, I, I guess that you know people aren't as scared of, I guess, Muslims as they used to be. Maybe <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I guess I mean because sometimes you know. I mean, we but I. I will say at least like with my hair, you know, and, and it has gotten like um, it's gotten quite bigger now. That it's usually like you know, it, it, it's either over now, like at this point now, it's like either someone loves it and they come up to me and they just go, they're going about how much they they love the hair, or they'll just look at me really, like really crazy, or I'll overhear someone talking about it. What's mm-hmm. so, like, though is like when I go out to like a bar. Mm-hmm. Like and you know, usually when I go out, it's usually to like you know a place that's predominantly white, <laughs> um, and it's always some drunk white girl who wants to run her fingers through my beard on a dance floor, <laughs> and that's just, it's so irritating because I feel like I feel like I'm being viewed as some type of a furry pet. That you can just that's, that's do how, that. That's, that's how I feel too. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel sometimes. Um, and then and then, but but see, if you if you respond negatively, then you become the angry black man. That's that's very true. So it's like whatever you do, it's going to be some type of stereotype. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking that maybe we can, 
Maybe we can turn this into a segment. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but we turn it into a segment. But we maybe it's some somehow some way we can like get other occurrences from from other people, like record them and just like add them on to the, like the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, <laughs> racism of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, racism. Of, yeah, racism of the week. And then you know, if we if we do have subscribers and people who are listening on SoundCloud or whatever like that. They can just hit us up at channel ten podcast at gmail dot com, yeah, and just yeah, and just put I don't know the subject uh, racism or something like that, and just go just tell us about the story. We'll read it. We'll read it on the on the on the episode, and then we'll just respond to it. Yeah. yeah so send us your uh, your racism picks of the week, and you know what's interesting? Like, I think you know. I don't get as much of it being here because this is more of a mixed type of area. Because, mm-hmm. like, how you were saying, you go days without seeing another black person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, man, man, you really out there, you know, on the frontier of uh, African expansion. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, now, um, it'll be interesting, like, as time goes on, like, do any of your, um, of your white colleagues ask you about, like, your grooming and stuff like that? Like, oh, hell, hell yeah. Okay, do you tell them about, like, the shea butter and everything? Um, like, oh. <laughs> Oh, see, I, all right, so this is fun. This is kind of funny. So, um, in, all right, so in my house, my house, like the the bathroom in my house is like really small. But you know how, like, you know, if you're like by the toilet, you'll have like maybe like three shelves, so maybe you can put like you know towels and like toilet paper or something like that um, up. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, right there, I have. Um, I have. <laughs> I have like a, a ziplock. I have two big ziplock bags. One full of shea butter. The other, the other is full of raw black soap. <laughs> and it's interesting because sometimes when I have people come over here, you know, they, they'll come here and you know they're in the bathroom, and I notice that you know whenever they leave, whatever like that, or whenever I go back to the bathroom, I notice that the bag of black soap has been tampered with. <laughs> And you know, you know, you know how raw black soap is. So maybe they probably just think that I just took a shit in a but in a bag or something. And it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but um, but yeah. So um, yeah. Sometimes I um, I, I get like a lot of questions about my hair because people think I spend a lot of time on it, which I, I kind of do. Um, and so yeah, so 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 some some of my white female colleagues will come up to me and ask me about. You know what I do with it. You know I go into the whole thing about the conditioning, and then they asked me what I put on my skin. And then I told you about um, the whole thing about um, you know I, I smell I smell like pine trees, and then I had to tell them about frankincense, and then um, the whole thing about frankincense soap. And you know I told you that um, they were just amazed. They said, "Wow, they have frankincense soap." <laughs> <laughs> How they do that, and you know, 
And, and like, where do you get this shit from? And then, oh man, like, people, they, they, they went, they went berserk. Well, maybe they, well, some people went berserk, but when, when I came into, when I came in, in the, uh, in seminar one day with the cheer stick. And the thing is, though, like, some people said that, like, just, like, just how, like, the way I am, they weren't surprised if I just, like, picked up a stick on the side of the road and just started chewing it. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I don't, I don't, I don't know how to take that. You know, these white people telling me as a black, as a black person, you know, they wouldn't be surprised to pick up a fucking stick and start chewing it. What, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think I have a way to tell what that means. Okay. Go to seminar one day <laughs> and just pull out a banana and start eating it. Oh man! <laughs> see, see if they're like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Is there a banana tree around here? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really have to do that now. Um, shit, you know, actually, actually, my my black ass, I I, I meant to buy some some bananas too when I went to the market. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I gotta do that. And if you really want to take it to another level, get a plantain. <laughs> like, wow, what is that? <laughs> it's a big banana. You, you know, actually, I've never seen a white person eat a plantain. I don't think I have either. <laughs> that's that's rather interesting. Um, but I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen a white person. It's usually Hispanic people or or Caribbean people, and then you have a couple black people. I mean, yeah, but then even like when you when like you see like the um the black well the the uh, the, the Caribbean people um, eat it. They they you know it's, it's always like cooked it with something else. Yeah, I mean they're hard to just eat straight regular. They're real sweet. Like usually what I do is um I bake them like potatoes. And mm. I split them open. Yeah, you just wrap them up in some aluminum foil, bake them in like 20 minutes in the convection oven. You got yourself a nice little snack. Mm. Do you, uh, do you ever like um like like bake onions in the uh, in, in the oven? No, like I, don't. I mean they're, they're pretty tasty. Actually, like. I I I I I wonder like one day to start like eating like trying to eat raw onions since it is like they clean you out. But I just can't see myself doing. I mean, I mean I guess I could, but I, I guess the way the way I'm thinking that you know I, I just I peeled an onion and I just thought I, I just eat it like a fucking apple. But um I don't think I can. Do oh that. man, I meant to send you this video the other day. It was trending on Twitter. Uh, vegan onions and um, some YouTube star or whatever had a competition with his friend, and his friend is a vegan. So he was like, yeah, we're going to have this competition to see who can eat the most raw onions. And I'm probably going to lose because he's a vegan. So he does stuff like this or whatever. So they're sitting there eating, you know, just biting into this raw onion like an apple. And the vegan guy, you know, he was pretty calm, but he was, you know, you could tell he was feeling it. But the other guy, he just couldn't take it, and he ended up just throwing up on the table. Oh, wow. So I don't know, but <laughs> just to um, 
I guess uh, I guess it's a random sidebar. Um, I guess in one of my uh, weird research moments, um, I was looking up different religions and veganism and, you know, just diets in general. And um, there's a certain sect of some religion, maybe it's Hinduism or Jainism or something, where they mm-hmm. don't eat onions and peppers and things like that. And it's for two reasons. And one is because... Like, they only eat things that have, like, leaves or fruit or something like that because you're not killing the plants. So they don't even like to kill plants. So anything where you have to eat the root, they don't eat root plants. And then, mm-hmm. like, whatever religion it was, I can't remember. You know, they're big into, like, meditation and things like that. And apparently onions and peppers and stuff have something in them that I guess it's kind of like an aphrodisiac or, like, gives you some type of energy or, like, something like that, and it's supposed to increase passion, and so they don't eat it for that reason, too. So, you know, maybe uh, eating a whole onion might help in the bed if it if the smell from your breath doesn't turn the girl off completely. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> But you know, it seems like it seems like every damn thing in aphrodisiac. Like I mean, I remember I was reading some, one article, and you know, like steak is supposed to be some type of weird aphrodisiac, I think, and uh, you know, like bananas, and it, it seems like everything under the sun is, is like some type of aphrodisiac in yeah, a weird way. And and the funny thing is, like, there's always these articles that are like for it, and then you have these other ones that debunk it, but. Then end of the book, and they're like, "Yeah, it might be true because of this and this and this," but then it probably is not. I think the thing I'm thinking about mostly is chocolate, and like mm. how they say chocolate's an aphrodisiac, but then it has to be like dark chocolate, like straight raw chocolate, not you know, not this stuff that people eat. Yeah. Mm. But I don't yeah. know. I guess. Uh, I guess uh, if anybody is uh, eating raw onions and um, for aphrodisiac purposes, let us know how that goes. Hit us up at Channel Ten Podcast at Gmail. <laughs> yeah. Um. So um. I guess to go. I guess we're down on, on the uh, down on the list of things to talk about for this episode. Um. I guess about um albums that mean something to you, although you don't exactly care for them. You have one to um start with. Um yeah, I do. Um, Twister Twister Kamikaze. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, it, well, that one and um. And I mean, and in college dropout too, to a certain extent. But see, I really um, like both those albums. I mean, I like I, if I can recall properly. Although, like for, for the past three years, I, I've been telling myself you know, whenever I go through my hard drive, like you know, you, you, you need to listen to Kamikaze again. But also, I'm thinking now that maybe unconsciously, I don't want to revisit certain memories, so I, I don't want to listen to it. Mm. Um. But um. But yeah. Um, you know, 
Well, I, I guess for the listeners out there, you know, um, that was yeah, around two, yeah, 2004, 2004 where, you know, you had Kamikaze, Twister's Kamikaze and, and of course Kanye's, uh, unfortunate classic <laughs> debut album, College Dropout. Which I will say, I never thought it would ever reach anything. Well, I just want to side note. The first time, I remember the first time I heard Kanye West, and it was when The Wire came, The, the Wire. Oh, through The Wire? Yeah. And it was on, um, I think it played, it was playing on, um, damn, you know, was the box still around? No, it wasn't. It couldn't be. Couldn't have been. Nah, nah, it wasn't that. It must have been MTV2. Oh, yeah, maybe MTV2. Yeah, it had to be MTV2 because um, MTV2 will only play, um, yeah, because no one cared about The Wire, really. Um, and it came on, and I'm like, man, what is this? Man, he'll never make it. <laughs> <laughs> and it just annoyed me, and then, you know, just, and then he comes out of nowhere with slow jams, and I'm like, oh, man, these guys are fucking annoying, and then... He did it, and then he comes out with you no know, Twister, um, Overnight Celebrity, and I do like I like that song though. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, and then you know he's, and then and, you know what, ten, ten, twelve years later, look at him now. But um, anyway, for the listeners, you know, Kamikaze and College Dropout. That's when uh, our, our grandmother passed. Yeah. Um, around the same time, and uh, I think the the first time I heard. Uh, Kamikaze, you came over. You came over. You came over with the with the CDs. And I think I was, I was like, what, the day after she played, or was it the same day? I'm not sure. I must have had it for a while before then, though, because I don't I don't associate those albums with that. Because uh-huh. I had College Dropout. I had the bootleg version before. And I okay. had that when I um I had like that was like the soundtrack of when I went down to uh when I went down south on that on that civil rights tour trip. So that's when I think of college dropout, I just think of that whole time. And then Kamikaze, I remember writing um, a review for that in our school newspaper because I used to do the hip hop corner. Oh um, man, so stereotypical black boy doing the hip hop corner in the uh, school newspaper, <laughs> the predominantly oh, uh, affluent private school. But that's another story. <laughs> okay. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely feel what you're saying. Like, like you know, that was a. That, I mean, it, that, that was just so much going on around that time. Two thousand four. I remember, man. Yeah, those albums definitely were uh, something. <laughs> yeah, and they were they were all the talk, and you know, then at around the same time, at least in the uh, in the black community, you know, a, a lot of us finally you know found out that Jamie Foxx actually can, he can really sing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was just a big song for just just everything. Jamie Foxx, though, on another note, he's he's one of the most talented people of our our generation, our, our lifetime, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of an album that's like that for me. 
Hmm. Oh man. Um it's it's weird though because I started to like I care for these albums more now than I did back then. But mm-hmm. I think one of them has to be D four L. Okay. Yeah, that Laffy Taffy song because that was my freshman year at Howard and when that song came out, you know, especially somebody like me, it just it was just like, Oh man, like everything is dead. <laughs> I can't believe people are <laughs> listening to this shit. This is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. But um and you know, I just I just didn't understand music from other regions and how people could like this type of stuff, you know? But, yeah. you know, going to Howard and, you know, just meeting people from all over the place, like my roommate, uh, he was from Atlanta, and so he put me on, like, a lot of the snap music and everything, and so, like, there were a bunch of songs from around that time when Laffy Taffy was out, um, like, I guess the underground Atlanta music that I heard that didn't quite make it up here. And I started to get, like, an appreciation for, you know, what they did. And then even going in more on a D4 album, you know, that whole, like, just basically all those Fable tracks. Like, I'm geeked up and all of that. And I'm starting to see um, Spaceships on Bankhead or whatever. Like, now I listen back to that stuff with with a certain fondness, you know. And I remember, you know, different people and times and all that good stuff. And um, so, yeah, I think the D4L era and, you know, all that stuff, all that lean with it, rock with it, and, and my white tee and <laughs> yeah. that whole thing. Um, what's another one? I guess, you know, it kind of goes back to your um, your thing about the awkward songs, but... All that dip set stuff, I did not like it at the time. Like, mm-hmm. that was not what I was rocking with. I appreciate it a lot more now, but um, Jewel's first album, that first dip set album, a lot of Cameron stuff, I just I just wasn't banging with it. Yeah. But I guess now when I think back to those times and, you know, what they meant culturally and everything like that, and just placing it in the context of hip-hop and in my life, um, you know, all that stuff kind of means a lot. And I, now I wish I was kind of more into it back then when it mattered because now if I talk to people about Cameron and they say, man, what happened to him? And I'm like, well, he just dropped six EPs and then dropped a box set of them and got videos out and everything. People are like, what? Yeah. So... Yeah, that's another one. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, hmm. I think uh, Master P, The Last Dawn. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first compact disc that I bought with my own money. And it was a double disc, and I had to get it because he had the hologram cover, and I spent yeah. my money on it. And back then, you know, a double disc album that was like twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. 
And I played the mess out of that, and I tried so hard to like the whole thing in every song. But he had this one song with E-40 that I just could not stand. And, you know, no disrespect to E-40, but I still can't get with that dude. Um, it's not just not my thing. But, um, yeah, it's like that whole no, like a lot of that No Limit stuff. Especially the last done. I don't necessarily care for that album, but I guess the album played a big part because um, that must have been around like fifth or sixth grade, and I went to summer camp. Um, I was going to summer camp at uh, the Boys and Girls Club, and this was before I even knew I rapped, because um, like I used to have verses in my head, and I don't know why, but I would just write rhymes in my head. And so there was this dude, and we became kind of cool, and he used to rap, and he was real into hip-hop and stuff. And so he asked me what I'd listen to. And I told him, Master P, and he was a little bit older, and he was like, nah, man, that's not real hip-hop. You don't need to be listening to that. And so he let me hear, like, most death. I mean, he let me hear Can't Stop, The Body, Rock, and a whole bunch of stuff. And basically, he put me on with most death and Tello Quali and that whole type of genre. So, um... Because of Master P and having that conversation, that's when I guess my taste in hip hop got a little bit more refined. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, he actually asked me, Did I rap one day? And I was like, Nah. And then a whole bunch of people started rapping, and that's when I realized that I did rap, and I just started spitting verses. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, you know, I, I think I, I kind of had like a, a similar situation with uh, with my brother when it came to uh, that uh, damn um, uh, wanna be the other song, wanna be a baller. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's when my brother was a bit more adamant about you know putting you on to like more deep and stuff like that, and uh, and he he was much faster uh, to uh, to allow me to. Uh, to touch his tapes and stuff like that. And then, you know, that's how he eventually um, gave me um, the W mm. on cassette and stuff like that. And, you know, I think, you know, I think by that time, you know what I mean, I don't think he had much to worry about because I, I still had, um, you know, at that time I was still, I, I started doing, you know, uh, ma- making tapes from, you know, sh- uh, off of Strictly Hip Hop and Rap Attack and stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I don't think he he had to worry too much. But he was. I mean, he he, like he, he still goes back to it. He says, you know, he was like to this day. He sometimes like thinks about it and how scared he was for me when he heard when he just see me like was so entranced by the song and watching the music video. <laughs> <laughs> Although I mean, I mean, I, I still I still like the song. I mean, you know, I uh, I managed to, to, to find um I managed to find a single. And actually, I think it was um it, it was a it was it was ripped off of, off of vinyl actually mm. too. Um, and I think I had the instrumental. Wow. What's yeah. his name? Lil Troy. What's his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lil Troy. I, actually, I looked him up one time. I was on the phone with my brother, and um, you know, he, he went to jail like for a long. I think made for life, but really, he's been for a really long time for like some type of coke charge. Oh man. But I've always I've always meant to like go back and, like, listen to that album. <laughs> I haven't yet to do that, though. 
Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of those. But um, I had a similar, I had a, I had a guy, like kind of a similar experience with your brother because I remember one time I must have been in like <clears throat> what year did uh the Cannibal Ask the Cold Vein come out? Was that two thousand one? I believe two thousand one. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it was two thousand one. Okay, yeah, yeah. So around that time, that's when I was uh. Deep into, I guess, what they would call weirdo rap. So, I was listening to uh, a lot of Atmosphere, (laughs) a lot of uh, Sage Francis and things of that nature, (laughs) and um, Cannibal Axe. So, I'm riding around with your brother, and I think he had um, had Funk Master Flex 60 Minutes of Funk Volume 6, I think it was, and... That was the one that had um, had a song. I still love to this day that D12 song. I'll shit on you, but um, oh, also yeah. Had, yeah, yeah. But also had uh, Three Six Mafia break the law, two thousand one or two thousand mm. something like that. And um, I remember trying to tell him, you know, yeah, man, you know, you ever heard of Cannibal Axe and? All this other type of stuff I was listening to, and he was like, "Nah, man. I mean, no, that's cool, but you know, I, I can't really get with all that. You know, that daylight soul type of, and you know, all of that type of stuff. You know, I need. And I think he basically said he needs like, you know, some hard stuff from the streets or something like that. <laughs> so, so he ain't listening to no Cannibal Ox. So whatever we were doing that day. He was just riding around, just banging. Break the law, we ain't playing. Break the law, we ain't playing. <laughs> so I really grew to love that song. <laughs> but it's funny because years later, he swears by Cannibal Ox and Vast Air. And it's like I tried to bring this to you in middle school, and you tried to tell me how trash it was. But <laughs> it's funny yeah. how it comes full circle. Yeah, I mean, you know, but... um. You know, I I I think um I think you know when it comes to him, that was kind of like a like a uh, a pivotal period in I guess his his street <laughs> his his street life as well as I mean I think it was I mean I think that that era was kind of like a, a pivotal period um. And, you know, a lot of, um, in, in various, um, you know, I guess, streets against the albums that, that did come up. Mm. So, like, you know, why, why you, so, like, you know, you had Cannibal Ox that came out in 2001. The year before that, you had um, CNN's, CNN's The Reunion come out. And also, I think you had um, MOP War, uh, Warriors. Didn't that come out that year? Yeah, it did. Yeah, because um, I, I had tape. And I, I played that tape till it broke. And when it broke, that was one of the saddest days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also, you, you had, in 2002, you have Irv Gotti presents the Ink. Mm. And I was like, that, that, that album was, that, that album was crazy. And at first, you know, I, I, I hated it, but George, my brother played it so much. Um, you know, I, I just eventually liked it. And, you know, and, you know, that was around the same time too. Because actually when he was playing like, like when he was playing the ink, he would also like go back and forth and he would play the, uh, the reunion. So I think I do have like kind of like a, a thing about the reunion, um, too. So I think it's kind of sentimental as well. 
I have a thing about the reunion for a whole other reason. <laughs> and it's funny because I brought it up to my mother the other day. Um, you know, I was telling her about the podcast and Channel 10 and, you know, why it's called Channel 10 um, based off of CNN. And so she was like, CNN? And she thought I was talking about you know, the news channel. So I'm like, no, Capone and Noriega. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, you know, she's looking at me like whatever. And I was like, you remember the people that did that song? I'm outside on the streets, just holding it down. I'm in jail, pumping iron, son, and reading books. Reading books. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I remember back then that video used to come on. I think the box was on, so like you know, I used to, I used to love that video. So when it came on Rap City or it came on the box, I would always listen to it and I would be singing it. And like, it just always made my mother just start cracking up, laughing. <laughs> oh wow! So I was like, you remember that? And she was like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Mm. But you you know when when it comes to like um when it comes to my brother and like you know his uh his personality and you know and how how much of a character he can be and the I, I guess the 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 influence hip hop wise they had on you know certain members of our family like you know uh, our grandmother and our mother you know because I I don't think there were too many. Um, eighty, seventy year old woman who knew who knew who Nas was, <laughs> but but she was aware of who Nas was and Wu Tang. Actually, matter of fact, one time I asked her um if, if um if she knew who Mob Beat was, she was like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're, I know you're your brother. He like he likes them. He plays them sometimes. I hear or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of weird. And then actually. I, I remember mentioning something about show business AG to 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 my to my mother, and it was like like the like the way she responded is if she 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 knew him for years or something like that. She was like, "Oh yeah, that, that's the underground shit your brother always played back in the day." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember he would always be talking about them or something like that. So it's interesting. I mean, because you know. Um, I never realized you know how underground like DITC you know showbiz and all of them were. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. like people, people don't know who they are. I mean, people don't know who Big L is. Yeah, you That's know, very true. Like, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, I'm lucky when I bring up Big Pun because he had that big song or whatever. But um, you know, it's it's just amazing, and I always, I always am fearful that um. One day, all this shit's gonna be forgotten, mm. and I guess it goes back to how we were talking about earlier about, um, you know, I guess before we started recording about jazz, and you know, there's so much dope jazz, but it's like if you really want to get into it, you just have to dedicate your life to studying that because you have all these different periods of time that might be in like three to five year blocks where you had like 20 different artists doing interesting things at the moment, but nobody has time for that. So a lot of it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. So like when you look at the 90s, like let's say from like 93 to 96, so much dope music came out, but some of it's going to get forgotten about and people just aren't going to remember. But I guess, um, and this goes back to, you know, another topic that you had about, you know, the impact of podcasts on hip-hop and mm, about yeah. how, like, you know, a lot of the culture, I feel like, is being preserved 
um, in an audio format, and it's like audio records, like, you know, somebody can come back and listen to these things and be like, oh, you know, this is what it was like, or this is what was popping, or, you know, these are the things that might have been overlooked, but, are you know, have attention brought to them. So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, we're doing the work of of uh, capturing a time, I guess kind of like um, what's-his-name did, you know, after uh, slavery when he got people doing those uh, those songs or whatever. Like, oh, oh, yeah, the, um, the... The, the the folk thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, it's important to document all of this culture and stuff like that because, you know, in, you know, in 20 years, people might completely forget about Showbiz and AG and DITC and Buck Wild and Lord Finesse and, you know, the whole, you know, like key players in the whole era. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very very true. Um, and you know, I um I thought about this um this topic because um you know it's gotten to the point now even you know now 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 we've been blessed to get a, get a get a podcast interview from Cool Herc through through Combat Jack. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it is kind of crazy that you know you you don't really hear about Cool Herc as much as you probably should. Because, you know, they're, um, I mean, there are very few, yeah, you know, like, you know how, you know how it is, like, with, with, like, the creation of blues and jazz, like, no one don't, no one exactly really knows how, how it really started, kind of, sort of. Yeah. In a way. But we have hip hop, and we exactly know where this shit starts, and yet no one really wants to, one wants to go to the, you know, to, to the forefather of it, to, to, to the primary figure, and, I mean, sometimes I think, I mean, I, maybe I just figured that, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, you know, he, I know he has health issues, but, um, and, you know, maybe just, he just doesn't want to be bothered. Um, but it's like, you know, I felt like, like, like when I heard it, I heard the, um, the, the, uh, Cool Herc interview, I'm sitting up there thinking, like, how do I not know that the first rapper was, was, was Cope LaRock? I didn't know that either. Like, you know, or like, it takes me back to, I don't know if you remember when I did my, um, uh, I, I, when I was in middle school and I did my uh, eighth grade speech on the uh, um, birth of hip hop and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to scour. I mean, this is like, you know, the internet wasn't really popping like that, but, um, DavyD.com, um, you know, DavyD, he had a pretty, I guess for the time, he had a pretty extensive, um, I've been meaning to go back and check out his website and see what he has on there, but he had a pretty extensive history um, for the time of hip-hop, and, you know, that was, like, you know, my biggest source for um, all the information, but, you know, just listening to this, you know, there was so much that I missed and so much of the era, I guess, you know, hearing him talk, that you know, I, you know, I might not have quite understood um, exactly what was going down and how it happened. So you know, I was, I, you know, I was very thankful for that. And you know, these are the type of things that people need to know. Because um, listening to that, and you know, you know, thinking about culture, and especially you know, black people, and it's like 
you know, we always talk about how we were brought up here as slaves and we were stripped of our culture to where we don't have anything and don't know anything. And so we adopt uh, the culture of, you know, the dominant society that we're in. But it's like we now have this thing that's hip-hop that, you know, we made and it's ours. And then it's to the point where we don't even know the fucking history of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we you know also um going back to Coco I, I um I, I remember when I'm in Warren Epstein when um there was someone that had on it I think it was Molly Marlowe some some old DJ I think maybe it was um the uh, the guy who invented scratching his name oh, yeah, is uh Theodore that was a that was a dope interview too yeah yeah well I mean it was just amazing like. And he he really gave like an in depth you know description of how he came up with scratching and how you know and it was it was it was fascinating. Yeah. Um. I think that I think that was, that was the same interview because I I think it was the same. He was he was explaining to um to to Cipher and and Peter Rosenberg about um where the term ski came from. You know how you have Frank Ski and every every one's name has ski in it and it came oh, yeah. from like coke. Yeah, and stuff like that. And I think I think even Cool Hook said that, you know, he said one of like Coke Rock's lines, it had something to do about skiing or something. Mm. <laughs> and that was like a line, it was like a, it was it meant like a term of like doing coke or some shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, that um but yeah, that that was really dope. But um, you know, going back to like you know, thinking about the interview, um and you know, Combat Jack, he seemed, he seemed kind of surprised, you know, like, you know, well, why aren't you doing this? Like, why aren't you doing that? You know, why aren't you, like, really traveling around the world the way that you probably should be or the way probably a lot of people will probably, like, want you to be? And he just simply said, because no, no one reaches out to him, and he says no one talks to him, really. Um, although, I think, I think, I think you know, in this time, in this time period, I mean, he, you would think that he could probably just you know, go and just book, do things himself. Yeah, I mean, he did, you know, put out the call for the interns to get his social media and everything like that popping and all of that. So, you know, maybe um, maybe he'll put together a team that can help him. You know, you know, if that's what he wants to do. But I think, I think it's important to, you know, for him to spread the message and, um, you know, kind of preserve the origins of the culture. I mean, yeah, and, you know, I mean, and he, he you know, the, the thing about him is that, like, you know, he, he truly knows that he created hip-hop, and he, and he, and he, you know, he knows it, but at the same time, he's, he's humble, he's humble, he's like, he's, he's pretty humble about it, in a way, but then he's like, but then at the same time, he's kind of defensive about what certain people do to the culture, but then at the same time, He's all about, you know, community and all, like, you know, um, community and, and the importance of community and how he he really believes that hip-hop, you know, has brought people together. Yeah. And that's all he really, that's all he really wants. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, I, I, well, well, not just, I think everybody was shocked when they asked him who his favorite MCs were. <laughs> yeah, and, and Lil Wayne came up. Hey, Lil Wayne and Chris Brown, I forgot who else he said. I think, did, did he say Big Daddy Kane or something like that? But, um, no, no, he said uh, Molly Maul, I think. No, he's Terrence Maul, right? 
maybe it was KRS One, something like that. Yeah. But you know, when he said Lil Wayne, it was just like whoa. And you know, I think. Um, I mean that's just I mean that's just a huge honor. Like if I was Lil Wayne, I would I would I would have reached out immediately. Maybe he hasn't heard it yet or something like that. But like man, like just him saying that right there, you know, cements Lil Wayne as official. Like even if you didn't really, even if you didn't really uh, bang with Lil Wayne and stuff like that, you know, it kind of you know it kind of makes you go back and be like. You know, maybe I should go back and uh, and you know listen to his stuff again with you know more of an open mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think, um, well, I, yeah, I think I, did I told you, huh? I don't, oh, I, I think I did mention this about the uh, the Carter documentary. Um, what about? I I think that was on the first episode. Um, you know how I um, I um, I watched it, and um, you know, cause I, as a, uh, lately I've been kind of like on a on a hip hop documentary kick, mm. and um, I watched it, and you know, just like going into like you know his process, and you know, I guess you know like the, the just how 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 he lives and how he is. I uh, I gained I gained a new respect for him. Mm. And the thing about him was that, you know, I like, you know, even before that, I, um, you know, by, by the time, you know, the Carter, you know, the Carter Four came out, mm. um, I, I already knew that, you know, he was going to be cemented in hip hop history as a legend. And so one time I was talking to my brother one time about um, the hip hop Mount, Mount Rushmore and like, you know, and who, and who would, and who would go on it. And, you know, we, I mean, I think me and him both agree that Lil Wayne had to go on it. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think like the thing about that documentary was, you know, certain things like, yeah, he was getting high as shit, man. Like it, it was kind of scary. <laughs> like, <laughs> have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Well, you know, man, for all this is out there. Please go and and watch the Carter documentary. And I mean, even if you're not a fan, it, I mean, if you're a fan of Lil Wayne or if you're not a fan of Lil Wayne, you just got you just gotta watch it because I will say that that documentary is like it's like it's it's true hip hop <laughs> for real. You have your, I mean, it's like like the like the the first scene. It's like one of the first scenes is like you know he he has like his suitcase, and I think I think you're hoping it up. So I, cause I think like the the um the guy who was interviewing him or whatever like they they want to see the suitcase. There's like I don't know like fifty fifty G's in cash there of course because he's he's a nigga. Yeah, you, you have you have a book with naked women. You have an unmarked thing. Um, oh yes, right. You you have a um a bottle of vitamin a bottle of vitamin water with with with, uh, with, with syrup in it. And um, and I think some other things in that too. I can't remember. And you know, he was like, "You well, you already know what this is." You know, he put out the serve, and then he put out the cash, whatever, like that. And he said, he pulled out like like the like the book of the women, and he was like, uh, "He said, yeah, you know, I got had this with me because you know I, I never had, I don't have time, I don't have time to be fucking around with no bitches, something like that. You know, I I, I, I got to be doing my shit." Mm. And then you know, it kind of um. And then, like, it went to, like, another scene where he was, like, he was high as shit, like, on the, on the sofa. 
and they were watching TV in Ramsey. I don't, I don't know if it was set up or not, but um, it said that um, he, they they like changing channels, whatever, like that. And then Lil Wayne noticed that someone had a shirt on that said Lil Wayne is, is the greatest rapper ever, and like the way his face lit up. When when he saw it, and he he just kept he just kept like just shaking his head about. It. He's like, man, I just can't believe that shit, something like that. Wow. And then you know, and then it just went to like him actually actually recording, and it's him like you know he has his Mac, and they even show him setting up his mic. And then you know he pulls out like he pulls the mic out um out of like you know like like the um you know like one of those protective containers that that they all come in. Mm-hmm. I think it was like um, um in in uh in MXL I think. Oh wow! I said yeah um and he was like he said yeah this is the most important part right here and he he puts it up to the camera I can't go nowhere without this or whatever he was like puts it up there and he's rapping and we had to pop photo on everything but he's he's doing he he's recording himself and there's a whole bunch of niggas just looking at him record <laughs> and he's like he's doing all the punches and everything on Pro Tools and shit. I gotta see this. I, I, I use an MXL, like <laughs> that's what I use. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was an MXL. Um, I could be wrong, but I mean, but if not, I've I've come across someone, you know, just a, I guess a, a regular person who who uses who uses that mic. Um, but yeah, man. Um, but yeah, Lil Wayne, man. Yeah, he. I mean, he 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 he'll go down, and you know the. In hip hop history, I mean, he he can rap his ass off. I don't really like his songs though, but I mean, I um, I was impressed. I think like like you know, one thing that really impressed me is um, his interview that he did with Narwar. Oh yeah, you know he wasn't like Narwar has a way sometimes of breaking certain people out of their character, and what he got out of Lil Wayne in that interview was um. Lil Wayne knows his shit. Like, he knows his history of his hip-hop and his area and just music in general. Like, you know, his knowledge is is deeper than, you know, what what um a lot of people probably would expect, you know, based yeah. on his persona that he, that he projects. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that really and also, me. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. And um and also you know it goes back to um the the juvenile interview um on the Combat Jack show and you know he spent quite a bit of time talking about Lil Wayne and you know how they just all knew that he was going to be great and I believe that he he does say something about you know that he he just he knew his shit mm. whatever that really means but I'm guessing that that's what it it meant though and you know it's interesting too because you know you would think like Lil Wayne of all people would be kind of, you know, Larry or Nard War, like kind of how um, how how Nas was when um he did the interview the interview with Nard War and, you know, Nas got like really annoyed by him. Yeah. <laughs> but Lil Wayne was cool with it, you know, and his fucking that that robing shit, I'm assuming negative whatever whatever he was doing, high shit. <laughs> Not giving a fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a dope interview and um yeah, I've been meaning to, um, that's another, I I guess going back to, like, the albums that you might not necessarily, you know, care for, but mean something. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say I didn't necessarily care for it, but I would have to say that 
the um what was it uh what are those mixtapes that he did uh I don't know why the name is escaping me right now the ones that he does with drama my dedication yeah yeah dedication two and mm-hmm. um the one the the the, the drought mixtape I want to say the drought three where he had the double disc okay and uh, he rapped on the um on the Show Me What You Got beat, and he rapped on, like, the Beyonce beat um, and a couple other joints. But I just remember, like, back in, like, um, 07, 08, when, um, like, you might go to a house party and the whole party would just be a Lil Wayne mixtape. Mm. And, you know, that kind of... I guess... Um, you know, when it comes to the impact that somebody has on the culture, a lot of times I feel like a house party is the best place to really get that. So, like, you know, back in those days, sometimes I would just go I'd just go to a house party and I used to just sit and just watch people and, you know, the music that really moved them. And that's another thing that kind of contributed to me kind of opening my mind in different types of hip-hop. And I just remember being in a um, house party in Virginia, and it was just like... That's all it was. It was just a little Wayne mixtape. That's all you needed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Man, like, I can't hate on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, when I, well, yeah, but by the time I even, by the time I got to, uh, like, what, what was college, it was, I think, Gucci Man took over. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, but I, I think, I think an album that, you know, I don't, I don't really care for, but, you know, I have a thing about is um is Jeezy's first album. Oh man, yeah. And you know, I think it was just one of those. It it just took the the fucking the black community by storm. <laughs> and you know, you know that my brother was listening to it. Everyone was listening to it, and now you know, like um, it's funny now. You know, being being hello. Yeah, I'm listening. Um, you know, be, be, being you know, uh, being the, the age that I am right now, um, and how you know you, you have people now that you know that they go back and they listen to, let's say, um, the killer, um, uh, killer cam, the, yeah, uh, the yeah, that yeah. joint, and they're like, oh man, that was the shit back in the day, or, or go back to Jeezy, man. You go back to Jeezy around people, people my age or our age, man, it's a, it's a rap because that's considered old school now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like I, I can tell you, like, about, like, my, you know, moving into the dorm and, you know, freshman year, Drew Hall, Howard University, without, um, <laughs> And, you know, just walking into, like, the little courtyard area of the dorm. And the dorm, you know, if anybody's not familiar, on Gresham Avenue, right off of Georgia Avenue, that thing looks like the projects. You saw it. (laughs) Yes, I did. And, um, you know, you walk in, like, you know, just walking up with my bags, and somebody was just blasting Jeezy through the window, like... Mm. And it just fit like like the sound of that album just filled the air, and it was just hot outside, and it was just like, damn, I have arrived. 
And I think that album in particular, um, it really resonated in in the college area um, because, you know, the type of stuff that he was talking about, that thug motivation, it was really, it was really like, you know, kind of like a self-help tactic. And, you know, people applied the same principles to their studies and everything like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people would take Jeezy lyrics and just kind of live by them when mm-hmm. it came to, you know, getting on your grind with the books and everything like that. So I thought it was dope. And, you know, Jeezy, you know, I, you know, he's even said, you know, something similar in various interviews and stuff like that. So I find myself going like that, especially that song, Get On Your Grind and Get It. Like, you know, yeah. real inspirational songs. Uh, I mean, yeah, and you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing um, that yeah, I, I experienced that album yeah, yeah while while you were gone. <laughs> um, man, there was just like I just remember so much debauchery going on. You know, driving around my brother, we had like the, the blue towel when you put that shit on. Yeah, <laughs> man, like. I, I I don't know why I just remember like we were speeding down some like some some long winding road somewhere, going to some 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 weird area because he was trying to talk to somebody, some talk to go to some uh, I don't see see some rapper I don't know some some something whatever he was doing, like speeding down like seventy eighty miles an hour just bumping Jeezy. Mm. <laughs> like yeah, bumping that album man. Then you know um. And you know, I, I have a, I'm a thing about Trap or Die too. That's the one that has um that uh, young Jizzle from the bottom of the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of that came out before. That came out before the um the uh, album. Yes, yeah, right. Yes, right. there. because that song ended up on the album too, right? I think I think it did, but I, I want to say that it came, probably came out like on a deluxe edition or something like that. Okay. But um, it's. It's interesting though because um I I feel like um you know people like in, in our generation it's it's one of those albums that like when you hear it, it's like oh my god man like you know and then you you just randomly start having a flashback you just start saying like a street where you were on or something like that <laughs> and it was weird though because one time um when I was back home before I came here and um I was um listening to James Brown mm. and it was um like whoa. Uh, I think it was called I Try or I fuck I can't I can't think of the name of it, but it it wasn't like one of his most known songs, mm-hmm. at least not that I know of. But you know, I think it was like one of his earlier albums, like nineteen fifty nine, sixty something like that. And my my mother she walks past my room, and then she comes back to my room. She was like, "Is that James Brown?" And you, and you know how my mother is, you know, she's all into 92Q and shit, you know, she, she's all about not hearing the old shit no more. Yeah. But then I said, I said, yeah, James Brown, you know, she's like, oh my God. And then so she, so she's just standing there in my room like, oh my God. And she's like, she says, oh my God, like, like three, like three times. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I don't know. It's like this, it just takes me back to, you know, when I was a kid and just. Just hearing this, like you know, the, like she like hearing like hearing it throughout like the cars and shit like that, and you know, j- like you know, just how it resonated within the black community during that, during those times. That like that particular song, that's you know, not one of his known songs. Hmm. 
So yeah, man, it's it's interesting. That's that's crazy what music could do to people, but um, yeah, man, it's it's just a lot of those those albums, those personal classics, those personal gems that you know it might not necessarily be this be that thing for everybody, but you know for you it's that thing like um, even with Jeezy, uh, he had a mixtape. With Don, I, was it with Don Cannon? No, it was for some random DJ. Um, Trapping ain't dead. But what was is that a DJ Holiday? I I don't think it was with DJ Holiday. Um, let me see. Trapping ain't dead. Who was that with? Because that was after I think he had that falling out with uh, DJ Drama and DJ Holiday is with Drama. Okay. Um, Trapping ain't dead. Oh man, I pull up Trapping ain't dead. This is how you know you're getting old, right? <laughs> when you pull up Trapping ain't dead, mm-hmm. and Fredo Santana pops up. Oh well. So now you gotta go type in Trapping ain't dead mixtape. Young Jeezy. <laughs> 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 and see what DJ put the no D oh DJ Folk that's who it was now is he known for anything else or yeah I think he's big in the um in the southern and Atlanta scenes and he's probably with like oh he's with CTE I just I just google DJ Folk and the first thing that comes up is DJ Folk the mastermind behind Young Jeezy Okay. So yeah, but um, let's um let's take a quick break, um, real quick, and then um get back into it. All right. Cool. All right. Let me uh click this real quick. <laughs> <laughs> 